This is an ABC podcast. I am in the heart of an extraordinary place. I mean, it's the place of mystique, dedicated to studying, to investigating the fundamental particles of matter and the origins of the entire universe. At the beginning of the universe, minutes after the Big Bang, as temperature cooled, the most fundamental particles of matter came into existence. So neutrons, protons, photons, electrons and others. The basic building blocks of everything we know and see and much that we don't. And to study these teeny tiny particles tucked inside every atom in the universe, invisible to your eye, physicists need this vast instrument, one that occupies an entire vast landscape, 200 hectares of farmland. You know, the contrasts between big and small here are so bizarre. Uh, we're about 88 metres underground at the moment. Kia ora, I'm Jacob, I'm from New Zealand. It's great, we have people from all walks of life and all, uh, all professions. We've got physicists, engineers, computer scientists, admin people like me, and they're all from different parts of the world. I think from the start this felt like a mini country. So I'm Tamara Vasquez-Schröder and I'm an experimental particle physicist at CERN. And I don't know, somehow when I leave CERN, I realize that I'm still in, in the normal world. So I don't know, it, it's some kind of refuge from everything else that is going on outside in the world. And here, science is what really matters. I feel like uh, CERN's great that it's a kind of an apolitical place. You know, the relationship with Russia never changed during the Cold War. We're, we're about science, and purely about science. Well, not just science. I'm here for the art too, people. Science Friction with Natasha Mitchell coming to you from many metres underground this week. I'm taking you inside the heart of CERN, just outside of Geneva in Switzerland, home to the world's largest, most powerful particle accelerator, the Large Hadron Collider, the LHC. Now, this is the place where the elusive Higgs boson particle was discovered. And amongst the thousands of people here... I am actually in search of two artists who have been let loose in the labyrinth of corridors and chambers because I want to probe the way science and art collide here through curiosity and awe. This institution is highly creative. It's probably one of the places with more concentration of very, very creative people and uh, where imagination goes beyond human so for me, it makes so much sense to have art here. This is not one of the artists I'm looking for, but as curator and head of arts at CERN, Monica Bello probably knows where I might find them. 500 artists want to come to CERN and apply to our programs every year. Why? It's because they want to go to the limits, the fringes. In this way, they work like scientists. Many of them do. You have two ways of thinking and interrogating the world, but they are not so different. I think we have the preconception or the misconception of the scientists. The scientific methodologies are very rational. 
when you are here at CERN, you realize that rationality is only a part of it, but there is this blue sky thinking that is part of science and is enriching all the layers. Right, let's get on our bike then and go find some artists. Bicycles are in fact how many people get around the 27 kilometre circumference of the mighty particle accelerator. Everyone you meet at CERN has this kind of infectious, passionate energy. If you could harness it, it could probably run a small nuclear power station. Actually, come to think of it, the knowledge in this place, nuclear physics, does run nuclear power stations. I'm Stéphanie Bosseron. I'm a French physicist working on the CMS experiment as you were going to see here. I'm a strange person because I discovered particle physics when I was 16 years old. First, I discovered an exhibit about nuclear physics, like how we were producing the electricity. And then I decided to understand how the matter was made a little bit deeper by myself. And I discovered the particles and I was like, my gosh, you, the universe, the ground, the table, we are all made of 11 particles, 11 bricks of Lego, and then you're able to make everything in the universe. In the universe? Your mind was blowing. So fantastic. I want to do that, really. I want to study that. <laughs> and the most funny thing is that my parents are absolutely not scientists. So I 17 years old, something like saying, Mom, Dad, I want to discuss because I know what I want to do later on. My parents were like, oh, great, great. What do you want to do? I want to be a researcher in particle physics. <laughs> and they respond? And then my father was like, listen, I understand the word researcher. I understand the word physics. I can understand the word particle, but the three together are absolutely not making sense to me. <laughs> this is a huge concrete tunnel reaching out for as far as my eye can see. And next to me is this big long tube divided into segments. It's probably about a metre wide, a metre in diameter. And this is the heart of the Large Hadron Collider. Well, it's not on, which is a good thing, because I don't want to be, you know, irradiated. When it's on, all sorts of collisions of fundamental particles happen in here. When the machine is on, on means that the magnets are powered and that we have beams circulating. So my name is Laurette Ponce. I'm working for the operation group at CERN. So you cannot stand inside the machine just because of the radiation level which is there. So that's why we have a very sophisticated access system that you walk through and that when there is beam in the machine, nobody can enter. In fact, since December, they're now in a long shutdown, a couple of years while they do major upgrades, which is great because it means I can get up close and personal with the particle accelerator. When running, it all starts with a bottle of hydrogen gas. An electric field strips the hydrogen atoms of their electrons, leaving bare, naked protons. And then beams of these protons are accelerated up the pipes of the collider, getting ready to collide with each other. What you do see in front of you is really the beam pipe. At that point, we have two beams circulating because we are doing collisions. So we have one beam circulating in one direction and one beam circulating in the other direction. 
and all the equipment that you see are used either to shape the beam, to focus it. We are focusing the beam in order to optimize the rate, the collision rate into the detector, but we also have a lot of instrumentation because we need to monitor where is the beam, if it is seated really in the center of the beam pipe, what is the intensity, what is the shape, if it is big, too big, flat, round, in all directions. So we have many equipments. And when proton beams accelerate to very high energy levels and collide, boom, all manner of subatomic particles are generated in a kind of particle shower that results. They're then captured by one of the four huge detectors here for scientists to identify and interrogate. You can't ever actually see the Higgs boson directly, can you? You can only see the different particles that it decays or breaks down into. So it's an elusive little beast. That's right. That's actually the the basis of of the whole physics analysis that we do. Physicist Dr Tamara Vasquez-Schroeder. Many of the particles that we're looking for, we only see their final decay products. And we try to reconstruct kind of in a detective mode, what particle originated this, this, this final set of objects that we're seeing in the detector. That means that we have to really work with, with probabilities. So it's not that we can look at the different collisions that we, we have uh, collected in data, but we have to collect as much data as we can and then draw probabilistic statements from, from the data. So when we say we observe the Higgs boson, means that with a five sigma uncertainty, we know that's the Higgs boson. That's just a measure of confidence in the results, and five sigma pretty much means they are very sure. The Higgs boson is the particle which gives mass to most of the other fundamental particles of matter in the universe. So, you know, it matters. It's a big deal. So behind this wall that you see at the end of the cavern, this is a concrete wall of seven metres uh, thick, and this is, there is a CMS detector behind that. Now we are heading inside one of the detectors called the CMS with French physicist Stephanie Bosseron. The LHC is delivering us 40 million collisions per second. But in the meantime, we have the ability and the interest only to record only a thousand of them. Why? Because now we are really looking for something deeper and more rare. So what sorts of things do you reject? All the basic phenomenon that we have already studied since the 60s. We try to really look for rare phenomenon. And here is the, the tricky part, because we know there are things outside, out there, that we've measured sometimes, or there are concepts for which we need a new theory. Well, most of the universe is dark matter or dark energy. It's not actually matter as we see it and experience it at all. Yes, and dark matter is a perfect example of of such a measurement that we've known for a while that it's out there and it cannot be explained by none of uh, the elementary particles that conform the, the standard model of particle physics. So we know the standard model describes absolutely perfectly the data we have right now, but there is more data that it cannot be explained. The, the scale of things is just is so special, so unique. Like an elusive particle hurtling towards the CMS detector, I found one of the artists I want you to meet. Hi, my name is Nicole, uh, Nicole Lullier. I'm an artist from Chile, and now I'm based in Boston while I'm doing a PhD in media arts and sciences. 
for me, it's not only about the scale, but then understanding how that huge scale, every single tiny little part needs to work so well. And and it's for me what mostly like blows my mind and it's like has me in, in this awe is the idea of the calibration and the exactitude as every single little piece, even the tiny screws needs to be in tune, you know? And I think that's so special. Like in my own practice, sometimes I do build instruments and so I know what it takes to put things in tune and, and things that are like really like in this harmony and resonance. It's amazing to see this scale. Yes, it's an amazing sort of coalition of instrumentation, but also of people, thousands of yeah. people working together, almost like a hive, a global hive. The beats of space pop duo called Breaking Forms, of which artist and composer Nicole Julia is one half, along with her partner Juan. At MIT's Media Lab, Nicole is part of a team called the Opera of the Future. And my research centres mostly in the exploration of sound as a construction material. So less about music and more about sound as, a, as an element that allows us to build experiences, spaces, identity, as well as agency. In one project, Nicole and a collaborator built an instrument she calls a telemetron, and she performs it floating, suspended in a zero-gravity chamber, like an astronaut. Because, you know, when we colonise space, we'll need to make music too. The instrument and the performer are both just bodies floating randomly in this space, so it becomes more like a dance and less like a control situation, which for me, it's super was super eye-opening in, in terms of like the research that I'm trying to do that kind of like composing randomness than let's say like, like more like a classical composer or, or musician. Randomness is one way to describe what happens when artists and scientists collide here at CERN's Large Hadron Collider. And speaking of dancing, one choreographer in residence here even got a group of physicists like Tamara Vasquez-Schroeder doing just that. This was very intriguing to me because I really, when I heard for the, f the first time that it was a choreographic type of project, I really had no clue <laughs> what can be done between science and choreography. Are they going to get you to dance your physics or something? Exactly. I, I was really clueless, but again, prejudice-free. I went and allowed, you know, new, open, new doors to, to open. And they were very fascinated by the concept of time and how time relates with space and energy. So it's, it's a very, actually complicated concept that it's not yet fully embraced or explained by, by our theories and there's still the room left for, for a reinterpretation of what time is. The final project was to basically have a discussion among us about time where we also use our human bodies to express it. I think they were trying to see how also our bodies can deal with these concepts that seem so abstract. Space, time and energy are really abstract concepts. So how can we connect it with the physical bodies that we are? And, and many of these discussions were related to that. And the, yes, and the connection precisely between art and science 
and, and uh, how we can build this bridge between the two worlds. Tamara works on the Atlas experiment, which helped discover the Higgs boson. And it really sounds like collaborating with artists has kind of freed up her mind in unexpected ways, allowing her to think beyond the necessary strictures of the scientific method and experimental process. Throughout the history of science, also many scientists have been called crazy or going against the norm by maybe altering the order, but still following a scientific uh, process. And I think we need more of, of those uh, more outrageous moves. And, uh, and again, I'm, I hope that the, the pressure that we have and doesn't kill this intuition or this freedom to, to allow other ways of thinking. But from the first time that I collaborated with the Art at CERN uh, artists, uh, I realized that one hour spent with an artist translates into a much longer time that it would have taken me to, to reach the conclusions or the outcomes that come uh, out from our discussions. In a way, it allows you to play. Yes, which is at the end what scientists should be doing. And we sometimes forget. We shouldn't lose the, the excitement with which you, we, we entered into this field. So let's meet another artist who's porous to the possibilities, the wild possibilities that can emerge from conversations with physicists like Tamara. Hi, I'm Alan Bogana. So I'm a Swiss artist based here in Geneva, where there's also CERN. And yeah, I work mainly, mm, I would say, by doing installations, making also videos and different form of time-based media and holography. Alan is also an artist in residence here at CERN. Every day it's like full of surprises somehow. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> my head <laughs> keeps spinning somehow. <laughs> my <laughs> mind keeps spinning all the time. <laughs> I feel like a child somehow asking questions, keep asking questions. In his work, amongst other things, Alan explores how light interacts with matter, creating these computerised installations and natural forms like the crystal structures of minerals, playing with representations of reality and fiction, and the relationship between the constructed digital world and the organic world. During the exchanges, I've been very often uh, inquiring about the use of computer simulations here at CERN and their uh, research, wondering if it's only a tool for to verify experiments and theories, or also if it's a tool for inspiration and that can give more. And also then inquiring more at a deeper level uh, about the role of imagination and in connection to visualization, if it can be something misleading for a researcher to rely on image creation, reflecting on such abstract things uh, like theoretical physicists do. So... Is that such a powerful point? Because, you know, scientists find all sorts of ways of representing their data, presenting their data visually, but then that becomes a kind of truth in and of itself. Is it actually an accurate representation of reality? Does it somehow curate the imagination from further possi being open to further possibilities? Yeah, reality is a, I mean, is a bit in between in the sense that imagination is still a very fundamental tool for humans. And, but then, yeah, image creation and visualization also to, might be tricky, especially at some levels of abstraction where 
to imagine things or to visualize something at a very small scale like as string theories or gravi uh, quantum gravitation are just very, very abstract phenomena and multidimensional physics. I mean, it's very tricky to grasp for our minds. So science tries to give answers, whether for me as well, I mean, art for me was, it's more about finding the right questions rather, rather than giving answers about something. For artist Nicole Hulia, the residency at CERN is feeding her artistic soul too. So every day, it's, it's a universe in itself. Because of my interest in sound as a medium, and the idea of kind of like, I really think that, that we are some sort of like large-scale membrane that is connected via vibrations and uh, in this like resonant vibrational reality. It's not as weird as it sounds. Physicists talk about the Higgs field, an energy field that blankets the entire universe, or string theory, which turns fundamental particles into strings that propagate out through space as part of science's quest for a unified theory of everything. I'm really, really interested in notions of like string theory, for example. Uh, that in itself is really complex. <laughs> I'm really interested in ideas that come from the cosmic microwave background and the imprint in the universe of the first, what we call the primordial sound waves, that were like fragments of a second right after the Big Bang. So this is like early in our existence. And I'm wondering how, if this is also like a speculative uh, turn, do we have also these imprints in our material memory? Also, I've been wondering a lot about the construction of reality, the notion of imagination and the apparatuses that we build to reveal the realities that we understand and how can we get access to these realities. Yes, because the notion of reality here feels a bit slippery at times. You know, you walk into that space with one of the big detectors that, you know, capture all those particles that have collided after they've raced around the Large Hadron Collider and accelerated and collided and bang, off goes this sort of particle cascade. But it's all kind of invisible. We are relying on the artifice of instrumentation to see it or at least imagine it. Yeah, and I think that's fascinating, and I kind of love that. And we talk a lot about the observations. And, and for example, again, in my obsession with sound, I love that we can access other ways of reality or expand our notion of reality within the abstract, within things that we cannot really observe in a tangible, uh, visual-centric reality. So I love the idea that we have access to this thing that many years they lived in the imaginary world, let's say. I think it's fascinating. And uh, yeah, it's both this, this openness to, to something they don't know, but they are eager to learn about. Physicist Tamara Vasquez-Schroeder. Without having this scientific base that all scientists have, they still manage to, to, to make these, these connections, which is it's really intriguing how, how this happened. And again, I think and it's a very interesting experience because sometimes you have no idea what the, the next step will be. And if you just stop thinking about why and what's the purpose, which would be the immediate uh, thinking of a scientist, then you would be surprised about the outcome. It probably made me realize that what we think are two complete different worlds share actually a lot uh, in their creation process. I think the main example is intuition. Sometimes we don't want to talk about intuition in science because it seems subjective and uh, not fact-based. 
but we both need intuition, right? Uh, at some level, we're stuck in a, with a problem uh, and you need this scientific intuition or artistic intuition to get out of it. And yes, it's mostly based in, in your prior uh, experiences or knowledge or these extra connections you make. But sometimes it's truly unexplained how you, you get out of this whale <laughs> or you're stuck. And yes, and you realize that the, from the artistic process has a similar way. I don't think I've ever been in a place where people are so keen to talk about ideas. Monica Bello, curator and head of arts at CERN. I have scientists here telling me that they want to interact with the artists because they, they want to understand why. Why are we still questioning nature and what we do? And perhaps artists know how to answer this question. So it's really interesting because it's deeply human. It really takes you to the big question. Why are we pushing so hard to know more and more? Yeah, sometimes it's, can we stop? <laughs> but uh, we cannot stop. You talk about this idea of the technological sublime, and I wonder how that idea manifests here at CERN. It's like understanding that the sublime that comes from nature, or sometimes it also can be associated to some sort of spirituality, some sort of religion, and there's these ideas of the technological sublime of when at the moment of humanity where the technologies became primordial in our culture is completely part of our, of our nature today. This dichotomy between nature and culture, is, it doesn't exist. I mean, I really see that, that we're, we are in a moment in history where both things are blended and we should see them as such and understand that the sublime also applies to this. What does it mean to be creators, to, to live among the apparatuses to, from which we observe the world, for example? I mean, there's something about being dwarfed by the scale of this particle accelerator that sort of reduces us to something very small as part of a kind of much bigger, yeah. complex whole. Even the dialogue between these like super large-scale, awe-inspiring events that, that are constructed and that sort of collide with nature too, so it's interesting that... But then these huge structures, and they are meant to understand and observe somehow the most micro thing that, that ever existed, that was the building blocks of the universe. And thanks to the artists and scientists who spoke to me at CERN, Nicole Julia and Alan Bogana are part of what's called the Symmetria Residency. So from the largest particle accelerator in the world, deep underground, surrounded by thousands of scientists probing the teeny tiny world of atoms, they're heading to the largest radio telescope in the world in the heart of the Atacama Desert in Chile, 5,000 metres high up and casting an eye across the vast universe. Mind-blowing contrasts. Talk to me on Twitter, at Natasha Mitchell. Thanks to Ariel Gross. And I'll catch you next week, National Science Week. I'll be hosting things in Bendigo at the Writers' Festival, Sydney for the Sydney Science Festival and Hobart for the Beaker Street Festival. See ya. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.